Welcome to this special episode of the podcast Growing Forward Cannabis and New Mexico. I am Kevin McDonald, the executive producer at New Mexico PBS, and this podcast is a partnership between NMPBS's public affairs show, New Mexico in Focus, and the New Mexico Political Report. The host for this show, Andy Lyman at The Political Report, and Megan Kamrick, who does correspondent work here for us at New Mexico PBS. She's also an on-air host at KUNM. And uh, this week on the KUNM call-in show, Let's Talk New Mexico, uh, the topic was all about the push for legalizing recreational use cannabis in New Mexico. Things are starting to pick up on that front a little bit. We have had some bills introduced. There's apparently going to be committee hearings on this very issue tomorrow on Saturday. And so uh, the idea was to get folks' questions answered and to check in with lawmakers a little bit about where we are in the process and the strategy they're taking on legalization this year. So in this particular podcast, set up slightly different as Megan Kamrick is the host of Let's Talk New Mexico this week. So she's the one asking the questions sometimes to the usual co-host of this podcast, Andy Lyman, who of course has been reporting on this issue for years and years, including the medical cannabis program. And, uh, and then they're joined by a slew of guests, including, as I mentioned, lawmakers. You've got Representative Javier Martinez, Senator Cliff Pirtle, both of which have cannabis legalization legislation proposals up this year. Also a familiar voice to listeners of this podcast, Ben Lewinger. He is executive director of the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce here in New Mexico. They obviously have a vested interest in a lot of this legislation. Also, Shannon Jaramillo, who you've heard a couple times most recently in our last podcast episode, where we talked about education, not only for medical professionals, but industry workers, uh, often referred to uh, primarily the bud tenders who work at the uh, front desk at these dispensaries and are helping customers, clients, medical cannabis patients with their prescriptions, um, which aren't prescriptions in this world, but their uh, various strains or types of cannabis treatments. So it's a great opportunity to rehash some ground here, especially at the beginning in this first segment, but we think it's important to uh, get everybody up to speed, but also in the context of the legislation that is being pursued and supported and opposed in the legislative session to kind of understand where we are right now, how we got here, how that plays into the proposals that are being drafted. So for right now, let's head over to Megan and uh, Andy and some, a few guests for some of that important background as well as questions from the audience. Let's just do a quick catch up for our audience. How long have we had a medical cannabis program in New Mexico? How many patients are enrolled? Um, well, the, the Lynn and Aaron Compassionate Use Act, which is what uh, created the, the program, passed in uh, 2007. Uh, you know, there's some specifics there that it was launched in, in 2007, but of course, we didn't get to where we are now, where there's actual dispensaries uh, for a couple of years after that. But but for uh, per, for our purposes, it was 2007. <clears throat> um, right now, uh, according to the New Mexico Department of Health, uh, there are more than uh, 107,000 patients. Um, of that number, there are more than uh, 7,000 um, patients who are approved to grow their own cannabis. 
So what does the ecosystem look like right now in terms of how many producers there are and how wide a network or how the network of retail dispensaries that we have operate? Yeah, so there are, uh, I believe, 35 licenses uh, issued, um, and, and right now they're not um, issuing anymore, so it's sort of at a, a standstill as far as licenses go. But um, dispensaries, there, there's multiple dispensaries under each license, and so um, by my count, uh, more than 100 um, dispensaries around the state um, in various areas. I, I think, um, you know, anecdotally, they're mostly sort of concentrated in the, the metropolitan areas, Albuquerque, Santa Fe, maybe a little bit less Cruces. Uh, but there's also this network of manufacturers, uh, folks who sort of make extracts, and, and we, we did an episode looking into that. Um, and then there's couriers, and there's what what's referred to as cannabis-adjacent businesses, um, folks who uh, might be doing some services, like menu services, tech, tech services, um, legal services, all that stuff. So there's a whole network of, of businesses surrounding this uh, industry. And we've had this medical program in place for so long, and we've seen efforts to expand this to make recreational cannabis legal. Why hasn't that happened yet? I think that's a really good question and sort of the question. Um, I, it seems like it might have something to do with sort of our unique issues that we have in New Mexico. Um, there's areas of the state who have, where the people have struggled with uh, um, substance abuse um, there's sort of this stigma along with uh, cannabis use that uh, kind of get gets lumped in with um, some some other substances. Um, but yeah, I think overall it's just sort of a stigma, and and you know we're we're a unique state, and we kind of do things our own way. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, and we should be clear: we have decriminalized cannabis. What does that actually mean? So, yeah, uh, a few years back, uh, Senator Joseph Cervantes, um, he he finally, after a number of years of pushing for it, uh, uh, was able to get decriminalization through. Uh, What that means right now is that it's essentially a civil penalty if you have, I believe, less than an ounce. So it's like a a $50 fine. Um, There's no criminal charge uh, associated with, uh, you know, small amounts. Um, I will note that, uh, you know, even though Senator Cervantes push for decriminalization. He is actually one um, who's uh, hesitant, if not, you know, just opposed to legalization. So right now, at last count, we have about five bills. There are two in the House, three in the Senate, although one of the House bills is basically mirrored in a Senate bill. We'll get into more details on these in the show. But broadly speaking, what are some of the biggest changes that um, these would try to create in terms of cannabis? I think some of the, the bigger, the, the heavy lifts are going to be things like uh, allowing um, home grows, meaning, you know, folks, I, I mentioned earlier that there are patients who are allowed to grow um, a certain amount on their own, um, but that's that's in the medical program. And so there's a big question uh, going forward whether we allow uh, folks to just grow their own in a, in a post-legalization world. Um, the other issue is going to be uh, what we do with the, the tax revenue, um, there's there's a proposal to sort of reinvest back into certain communities, um, whether we, we put that to law enforcement. Uh, so I think some of the bigger debates are going to be taxes and whether we allow folks to just grow their own at home. And some of the things are pretty fluid in the legislative session, right? So we might see some of these bill elements getting combined into one bill by the time the session gets to a close. That's right. And, and um, uh, the, the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Peter Wirth, um, has, has said as much that 
um, at least on the Senate side, there's going to be sort of a push to, uh, I think his word was coalesce and, and come up with some sort of um, maybe combination of all these different proposals, something that would be um, palatable for the legislature as a whole, but also something that the governor would be willing to sign. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there's the, the hope is that we don't have these quote competing bills um, racing to the finish line that that we sort of take pieces or that they take pieces, uh, uh, the good pieces and sort of put them all together. And what are the general estimates right now on how much tax revenue New Mexico could see through legalization? Um, I've, I've heard and kind of keep hearing that uh, it could be around $100,000 uh, revenue in the first year, but that's obviously an estimate and is based on uh, sort of um, a general sense that the tax should be about 16 to 20 percent in addition to gross receipts taxes. Um, but I will say that Illinois just recently reported uh, about double that. I think it was uh, $205,000 in uh, tax revenue in Illinois. Who uh, that, that state legalized, I, I think, a year or two ago. Two hundred and five thousand um, or a million? No, two hundred and five. Yeah, two hundred and five thousand. Okay, okay. And um, so I want to also turn to my next guest, Ben Lewinger. He's executive director of the New Mexico Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. It's an industry group representing some of the cannabis industry in the state. Ben, your group is supporting two bills, one in the House, one in the Senate, essentially companion bills. I do want to say real quick that we have an email from a listener, from Steve, and he said state after state has shown that the expected rush of money in new taxes never materialized and that the expenses of legalizing marijuana exceed the new revenue. Marijuana plants use huge amounts of water, water that farmers in counties where it will be grown cannot afford to share. Statistics prove that auto fatalities have increased where recreational marijuana has been legalized. So what do you say to that? Uh, you know, the, those aren't the statistics or data that I've seen. There was an article in the AP this morning, actually, that Colorado hit $10 billion, um, in total revenue for their, their cannabis program. And that was a lot, of, a lot of money that went into education and kind of turned around uh, a lot of the school districts in Colorado. Um, I'm the former executive director of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, so substance-impaired driving is something that I care deeply about, and I just don't see those numbers uh, bearing out. I, I know there's a lot of uh, fear about increasing DWI, um, and I I haven't seen uh, substantial data to make a, a case that that's it. But also, you know, a, a big portion of revenue um, in other states, and, and the same in New Mexico, will go to, uh, you know, helping people who struggle with addiction and, and treatment and uh, youth prevention programs. So I, I don't I, I haven't seen any of the data that Steve is suggesting um, actually play out in a compelling way. I've seen states that have brought in uh, new revenue, and the revenue that comes in is more than enough to um, kind of cover the expenses uh, for any of the, the harm that comes with legalizing cannabis. And Andy sent me a note said he was wrong. It was uh, it was two hundred five million, right, Andy? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. it was million. And, and, and I Illinois. should specify that the projected revenue for New Mexico is a hundred million, not a hundred thousand. I apologize. That's okay. Get some more coffee there, dude. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, Ben, the chamber says these two these uh, bills, there's one there's basically companion bills in the House and Senate. And what I you guys have said that these are streamlined versions of previous bills that sought to legalize cannabis. What do you mean by streamlined? Well, they they set out to accomplish the 
comparatively simple task of just enabling legislation to uh, to legalize cannabis. I, I think that the, a lot of work went into uh, House Bill 12, which is kind of a modified version of last year's bill. Uh, it's a very long bill. It addresses a, a lot of issues and perhaps it aims to accomplish too much in a single bill. So HB 17 and the, the companion version in the Senate, Senate Bill 13, uh, takes the most essential pieces of last year's legislation and is solely focused on on legalizing cannabis. So that includes the simplified tax structure. It's uh, just a 20% cannabis tax, so no GRT, with money going directly to the state and to cities and counties. It leaves a lot to a fully empowered rulemaking process. So details around licensing and fees are, are left to, to rulemaking and not in statute. It includes some of the, the more popular pieces from last year's bill, the patient assistance fund, uh, the micro businesses licenses, and it you know aims to lay a strong foundation with the existing medical cannabis industry, which has been really successful in New Mexico, and really lean into those micro businesses to create opportunities for all New Mexicans. What do you think we should do with the potential flood of revenue that might come from legalizing cannabis? Let us know at 277-5866 or email us at letstalk at KUNM.org. Um, maybe we should clarify real quick, Andy, rulemaking versus statute. What does that mean for people? Um, well, and it's it's sort of just this way for all legislation, right? There's sort of this... Um, <clears throat> sort of, a, a, I guess, a, a theoretical difference uh, or difference of opinion from folks. But generally speaking, I think most lawmakers in general want to sort of build a framework in law. Um, you, you get into sort of tricky territory when you start to um, sort of outline how you want things to be done in law. It's a lot easier to change rules. I mean, there is a process, a rule change process in the state that you have to you know, do a public notice and 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 allow public to attend a hearing to make those rules, but it's that's a lot easier and, and fle- more flexible than it is to change laws. One thing I would point to, uh, just sort of as, as an example, is um, in law right now that the state allows what they call consumption areas for medical cannabis patients, um, but written into the statute is very specific rules, or not, not rules, not to confuse people, there's very specific details in the law that says um, those those uh, proprietors of the the, uh, consumption areas have to guarantee that somebody has a safe ride home. Uh, You don't really see that in in other laws surrounding stuff like alcohol. That might be in in rules. So there is sort of this this work to be done of, you know, what do we put into rules to make sure that, uh, and and you see this in a lot of bills, even the stuff that that, uh, Ben's talking about, where they say, um, we're going to kick this to whatever uh, department, and they're going to come up with rules that specify, um, you know, certain specifics that, that we don't want to get drilled too, too specific to in the, in the law. Um, at the same time, you don't want to be too vague in the law because then you get into situations where you end up in front of the Supreme Court. All right, we'll be right back to Megan and her group, as well as questions from the audience. And uh, some good questions coming up I want to make you aware of, including you've something you've heard us talk a lot about on this podcast, which is the social justice aspects of cannabis legalization uh, proposals. A fair number of them definitely represented Martinez uh, has 
expressed outwardly that he will not support legalization unless it accompanies social justice uh, issues like expungement of cannabis-related offenses in the past. So you're going to hear a lot of talk about that, as well as the idea of earmarks where the revenue generated from this would go. Uh, And we want to, before we hop back in, just let you know uh, again our strategy here for season two this is our third episode of season two and it's a little bit more haphazard we're trying to keep on top of all the progression of legislation in the legislative session as big things happen we will come in and do an episode and try to give you some again some of that context and big picture thinking about uh, the move towards legalization in New Mexico and you can get this podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts Please subscribe, share the word, rate, review. Um, Those reviews really help. So if you can take just a minute, tell us what you think. Also suggest other questions or topics that you want us to tackle that we haven't already. We'd be happy to take your lead there on those sorts of things. Also let you know you can always catch up on the podcast on the Growing Forward page of New Mexico PBS. Just head to nmpbs.org and search for Growing Forward and you'll be able to catch up on past episodes and get the latest for sure. Right now, let's jump back into some of those questions, including the big one on social justice. Here again, Megan Kamrick. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Megan Kamrick. We're taking your calls about cannabis legalization. We've got several bills now in the legislature. How do you think this might help the New Mexico economy? Are you worried about legalization? Give us a call at 277-5866, or you can email us at letstalk at kunm.org. I'm going to take a quick call right now from Mike in Albuquerque. Mike, you had a question about your uh, personal grows under these regulations. Are you there, Mike? Oh, okay. We lost Mike. His question, I think I saw, uh, uh, you guys could probably answer this. Would personal grows be allowed? Now, Andy, you said it's allowed under the medical program right now. What about if we legalize recreational cannabis? Um, you know, I, I think Ben probably has okay. some good context and, and add, add to this. But generally speaking, um, and I don't want to steal Ben's thunder too much, but I think it's a, an issue of, how uh, how palatable home grows will be to the legislature, right? Like the, I think that there's a concern that um, if we um, if we put a if, if lawmakers say absolutely we won't pass this unless there's home grows, then you're going to have the the sort of opposition that are leery about legalization in general say, well, no, we don't want to do that. So um, there are plenty of folks out there um, who I think you know, really just say we should be able, if we're going to legalize it, we should be able to grow it our own. Um, it, that might be an issue that we have to address in, in the coming years. Ben, is I, this is not a provision in any of the bills that the chamber is supporting? Uh, no, it's not in either House Bill 17 or Senate Bill 13. It is in House Bill 12, and that's okay. the first time we've seen it. And I, I think this is an example of you know, it's tempting to look at other states that have legalized cannabis and have it for a while and try and kind of jump ahead and try and recreate a fully evolved program. And I think there are some things, and Home Grow is an example, um, where maybe it's, it's not appropriate for the first few years. And, and this is, you know, there's concerns from law enforcement. There's uh, 
kind of some some attitudinal concerns with with legislators. Um, and we've seen in other states that did allow home grow from the beginning that it contributed pretty substantially to to the illicit market, and that was the case in Colorado. So your the bills that the chamber is supporting don't have some of the provisions in last year's bill that was introduced by Representative Javier Martinez, who we'll, who we'll talk with in a minute, such as the expungement of records for those convicted of cannabis-related offenses. Um, why not include those? I, you know, I think that's uh, really important, if not, you know, one of the most important, the most important is how do we start to address this failed and racist war on drugs and how do we make sure that uh, particularly people of color who have been disproportionately affected by this plant, um, how do we make sure that we uh, very quickly um, kind of redo those wrongs? And again, we just feel like things like expungement, they, they deserve to be to be in their own bill. Um, so the, the position that the chamber is espousing and Representative uh, Lujan and uh, Representative Montoya, who are the, the sponsors of HB 17, they're really just focusing on a, the, the simple um, enabling legislation to, to legalize cannabis. And that, that's what needs to happen first before we can um, you know, really start to address some of the other issues. And the, the single biggest thing that we can do from a restorative justice perspective is to just legalize cannabis and um, I think some of the risks with uh, the approach that was taken last year is we could potentially, um, you know, miss the opportunity to, to do it again this year. So I, I think that there's um, a lot of, of other pieces that need to come together to support it. But the, the very first thing that we need to do is just legalize cannabis. And that's the sole focus of of HB 17 and Senate Bill 13. Well, we do have Representative Javier Martinez on the line with us as well. Good morning, Representative Martinez. Good morning, Megan. Great to be with you. Thank you for the invite. Thanks for joining us. Well, we've heard a bit from Ben Lewinger from the New Mexico Cannabis Chamber of Commerce about the bills the chamber is supporting. Your bill last year and again this year includes a lot of equity and social justice provisions. Um, maybe you could, if you, I think you just heard what Ben was talking about. Could you talk a bit about why you feel like it's important to put these again in the bill, not have, as he said, a more streamlined bill? Well, first of all, it's it's really not that much more streamlined. It's just a few pages uh, shorter than our bill. Our bill is about 170 pages or so, and uh, the other bills are about 105, 110 pages. Um, I believe that an additional 70 pages certainly are worthwhile when you can tackle the deep racial inequities that have been exacerbated by the war on drugs. Um, I don't think we can legalize responsibly. I don't think we can legalize the right way without addressing those issues. Uh, you know, those issues are not just good enough for another bill somewhere down the road. They should be part of any legalization framework. What we've seen in other states that have not tackled racial inequity and disparities uh, from the very beginning is that those inequities not only continue, but they get worse, right? Because then you get a certain sector of the population making all the money, and the communities that have been most impacted by the war on drugs continue to suffer, even though they've now legalized this drug that for many years, uh, you know, stuck us in prison and kept us out of jobs and kept us out of housing and whatnot. So, you know, to me, uh, addressing these issues is really non-negotiable. I mean, it's, it's, it should be a no-brainer for anyone who cares about these issues. Um, as a person of color, as somebody whose uh, professional career has been in social justice work, uh, there's no way you should legalize without addressing those issues. 
Um, and so what are the specific provisions that you see as absolutely necessary in your bill to create this equity that you're talking about? Well, first and foremost, in the licensing structure, um, in House Bill 12, we have a licensing structure that would allow for micro-business licenses that are fully integrated from seed all the way to retail. Uh, these licenses are very inexpensive and very accessible. They are designed to allow people uh, from all walks of life, but you know, specifically people in rural communities, people without a lot of access to capital, to be able to come together and set up shop. Um, that's probably one of the most important pieces. Um, aside from that, we also have a community reinvestment fund that would be funded through a, a large portion of the excise tax on cannabis. Uh, that fund would be invested in communities of color throughout the state, specifically on things like entrepreneurship, uh, drug education, um, you know, development, and whatnot. Um, expungement, as you mentioned earlier, um, our bill provides for automatic expungement for cannabis-related offenses. Um, and if you look at the entire bill, I think it really, um, it, it's, it's a really smart approach to legalization uh, based uh, on, on a deep racial analysis. And the idea that we cannot legalize, and, and I just have to stress this over and over again, if you legalize without addressing these issues, we will have big problems coming forward. Um, can you talk a little bit about the barriers in the industry that you're trying to address? Well, you know, I think that what we've seen in Colorado, for example, uh, people with money, you know, people who already come from money, people who already come from privilege, which who for the most part are not people of color, certainly not in New Mexico. Uh, those are the folks that have the capital to set up shop, uh, grow their operations, expand their operations, and really become, you know, cannabis conglomerates in their own right, while people of color are left behind. You know, in Colorado, we had a very interesting uh, issue with, uh, you know, gentrification. You know, as, as some of these folks were moving in uh, to work in the industry to set up shop, a lot of people of color, many people of color were displaced from historic neighborhoods, um, you know, in Denver and in other communities, uh, simply because of the act of legalizing richer cannabis, right? And so, uh, you know, these are all issues that are very, very insidious and very much, uh, uh, you know, uh, rooted um, in all of our communities. And if we bring a multi-hundreds of millions of dollar industry to bear without addressing those issues at the same time, not later, but at the same time, those issues will only get worse. Um, ben, can you talk a little bit about the bills the chamber is supporting? And although it might not have some of these provisions Representative Martinez has, how do you think that the bills the chamber is supporting would address some of these issues he's bringing up? Well, the, the chamber, um, the HB 17 and Senate Bill 13 also has those, those micro businesses, which um, you know, is a nod to, to last year's bill and, and this year's bill is one of the most popular ideas. And I, I think that's um, other states have, have done equity licensing provisions, which have largely failed and unfortunately, you know, even more negatively impacted those same communities that uh, they were trying to support and create pathways into the industry. So I, I think uh, with the different micro licenses and the ability for, um, for everyday New Mexicans to enter into the business, uh, before um, we have, you know, huge investments from out of state or even out of country at this point is how we can 
uh, create the industry that really works for New Mexico and that is based um, in New Mexico. And again, just laying that strong foundation with the existing uh, medical cannabis industry, which are also New Mexico small businesses and micro businesses. And kind of that's uh, that's the pathway, that's the runway to laying a strong foundation that's going to continue to grow and be successful in the future. I want to take a couple calls. We have Elise calling in from Farmington. Elise, what would you like to ask? Hi, and good morning. Good One morning. One of the questions that I have is, um, is that in a state where we have widespread um, inaccessibility and under-accessibility of mental health care and that we're having a crisis from um, um, in an incompletely addressed um, mental illness and uh, mental health diagnoses, are, and, and where we do know that in other states, where there has been, I am not anti-legalization, but where there has been legalization, that there it has increased the amount of very heavy of heavy use among people with um, with mental health diagnoses. How and with some negative consequences, there is some good data that shows that PTSD actually gets worse with um, with cannabis use. Mm-hmm. Also, um, concerns among uh, 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 people who are younger, although not not young people, but younger people, and schizophrenia, then um, are, how are we engaging um, uh, uh, physicians who are board certified in addiction medicine and also um, public health professionals who study this work in, these, in the bill creation? Okay. Thank you, Elise. Uh, Representative Martinez, how did, did you have some of this input in creating your bill? Yeah, thanks for that question. It's a very important question, very important point. You know, House Bill 12 is actually the continuation of, you know, about four or five years worth of work, including last year's uh, working group that the governor put together on cannabis legalization. And and that group, which I was a part of, uh, included addiction professionals, included mental health professionals, included public health professionals, law enforcement and others. Uh, so this bill is essentially the same bill as last year, with with very few differences, um, and that bi- and this bill was vetted by that same working group. So, uh, that, you know, that's probably why our bill is probably a little bit longer, um, because it includes a lot of those different pieces that those uh, those experts brought to the table. And um, Ben, uh, anything that you want to add to that about the bills the chamber is supporting around those issues? Well, you know, I, I guess let me say that there's a lot more in common. There's a lot more alignment uh, between between these bills than, than there is differences. And I, I think, um, you know, one of the differences is instead of uh, earmarking funds to, to specific purposes, um, HB 17 and Senate Bill 13 kind of leaves that to the appropriation process. And it, it allows for more funding to be sent directly to uh, counties and, and municipalities to really, uh, you know, define how they want to use that fund, those funds to address um, a, a whole slew of, of issues, including uh, mental health disorders and addic- addiction and treatment. Um, I want to take, since we're talking about money, we have a call from Joan in Santa Fe who says she has some ideas about how the money should be spent. Good morning, Joan. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um I I was just telling a gentleman, I live uh, down near Airport Road, and when I leave my house, uh, there's a homeless person on every corner uh, up by the mall and up and, and go up Sirius Road. 
uh, there's just a whole line of people begging, of, of uh, holding cardboard signs uh, that they're homeless, that they need some money. There's one gentleman, I pass him every single morning. I figure he's trying to make his rent because he's there every single day for hours in the freezing cold with his sign. And these people are not just trying to rip somebody off. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're serious. But while I'm listening to this show, I'm realizing that there's a big, much bigger issue, which is, you know, it reminds me of um, the United States trying to uh, uh, pass a health care bill. And uh, I've been on the planet quite a long time, and I've watched this year after year, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30. We couldn't get a health care bill. It took just as recent as Obama to get that thing. And we hadn't worked out all the wrinkles. We didn't know all the how it was going to work out. But you've got to start somewhere. And we're finally at a place where... We want we we're going to do this, and we've seen we have other states like Colorado. We've seen their the, their mistakes. We can learn from other people. We, we've got to get this thing going. So you're we, you're saying you see we could have this revenue. It could help things like the homelessness. You see, I'm guessing that's the yes. Well, I have. yeah that I, I I or or all this okay. what they're talking about rehabilitation. Okay. Uh, uh, Mental health, all those things are very important. Uh, I'm a volunteer at the local shelter. I mean, we have a huge problem. But bring this thing out from under the table, you know. Okay. Uh, illegal drug use has been a problem forever. You know, once it's out on the table, we can actually get the statistics and examine it and see exactly how it looks. Okay. From- Okay, thank you, Joan. Thank you. Um, I know Representative Martinez has to go uh, very quickly. Um, and you do have earmarks in your bill, I believe, Representative Martinez, right? Uh, so, Megan, that's actually uh, uh, one of the pieces that, that uh, we, we changed from last year's bill. I mentioned there's a few differences. That's one of them. Last year, we had a number of different earmarks at the request of the governor's working group, including funds for law enforcement, um, including funds for behavioral health. Uh, you know, this is a place where I actually agree with, with Ben. Um, you know, we do need to minimize uh, the, the number of earmarks. As, as one of the appropriators, I serve on the Legislative Finance Committee. Uh, we put together the budget every single year. You know, earmarks are difficult. Now, earmarks are not something that are out of the ordinary. In fact, uh, you know, last year the legislature approved a you know, early childhood trust fund that uh, essentially earmarks uh, a good chunk of of state revenues every single year for the purpose of early childhood. So it's not uncommon, uh, but we did eliminate a great number of earmarks from last year to this year. So we're keeping two in our bill. The first one is the Community Reinvestment Fund, which I mentioned earlier, which would help pay for things like housing and, and, you know, investment in communities of color. And then the second fund is a patient subsidy fund. This this is for low-income medical cannabis patients who might need support to pay for their medicine. Um, In addition, we've created a GRT exemption on medical cannabis so that we can treat it the same way as we treat other medicines. Those are the only two earmarks that are left in our bill. Uh, We feel strongly that those two earmarks should stay. Uh, but we, you know, we, we will concede the point that, you know, 10 earmarks 
in one bill are probably too much. Okay. Well, I know that uh, you have to go, uh, Representative Martinez. So if you need to ring off, we understand. I'm going to bring in another lawmaker, Republican Senator Cliff Pirtle, has also introduced a legalization bill on cannabis. Thanks for joining us this morning, Senator Pirtle. Thanks for having me. Good morning. So you've uh, heard us talking about the other legislation introduced this session to legalize cannabis. You have called your bill a pragmatic compromise. Why? You know, I think it's it's the one that kind of comes in in the middle and says, you know, I, I think this is an issue that as a state we need to take up. I think the majority of, of the people are ready for legalization. But let's create a system um, that allows small producers, um, you know, your mom and pop shop kind of mentality allows them an easy way to get in, but at the same time protects the public safety um, and allows um our, our public safety uh, officials, our police officers, it gives them, them the tools necessary to, to ensure that, that uh, you know, we don't feel those negative impacts like Colorado and some of the other states have felt. You also have provisions such as requiring a mile between dispensaries. Why is that? Yeah, there's a, there was a huge concern, um, especially in my area of producing these um, they're referred to as the green mile when you go to other states that have uh, legalized recreational cannabis. And what happens is these downtowns of these um, municipalities are just um, cannabis store after cannabis store after cannabis store. And so there was a huge concern that that's what would happen to a lot of the communities um, where I'm at. And so um, we had what was called a state-operated store two years ago. And there was just a lot of confusion about how that would work and, and what would happen. And so what we decided to do is say, well, the, the goal is with the state-operated store is to have distance between um, shops and then an ability for people to sell their products on consignment so that your small producers, the people who want to enter at a lower level, who want to start a new business in this industry, don't have to build stores all over the state just to sell their products. So we added a requirement that – if you have one of these licenses to sell recreational, you have to take in other people who are licensed, take in their products on consignment to ensure that there's competition and that we keep prices low to put the, the illicit market out of business. All right, we'll take a short break. Let them all catch their breath. If you don't know, you can always catch Let's Talk New Mexico every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. on KUNM Radio. Just a great show. We encourage you to check it out. Get your questions in on them. No doubt they'll be doing more on the cannabis topic in different weeks, but the topics do change each week. We'll obviously have a legislative event right now as we're in the middle of the 60-day session, but always great topics there and a great way for you to engage directly with our collective team, starting with the KUNM newsroom. And uh, as we head back into the conversation, again, uh, guests so far have been Andy Lyman, uh, even though in this capacity he's usually our co-host. Uh, we have Ben Lewinger from the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, Representative Javier Martinez, and Senator Cliff Hurdle. And uh, lots of great conversation here. We've talked a lot in the past in this um, podcast series about Mexico's medical program, which has been around for quite a while now. 
but there's lots of concerns about what legalizing recreational use cannabis will have on the medical program. So you're going to hear some questions about that from viewers in this next segment. Lots of great information there. If you have questions still remaining, we want to hear from you. Just leave us a question or a, a voice note here on the podcast, or you can reach out to New Mexico and Focus or NMPBS on social media platforms, as well as KUNM. You can find both of those and the Political Report. You can find all three of those in any of those social media platforms. But here now, let's shoot back to Megan Camrick. I have an uh, email from Daryl. The state is not even addressing true equity, and they are just orchestrating a cash grab without any real plan to help those whose lives have been affected by punitive treatment from cannabis in the past. I'm worried how the state can even enforce, regulate personal growing. We're losing an opportunity for some monumental change, and medical cannabis will suffer. There's a lot there, Senator Pirtle. Um, your bill does not have some of these provisions we were talking about with Representative Martinez. Uh, why did you feel like you didn't need to include those? How are you going to ensure equity for some communities that have really been impacted for decades by the war on drugs? You know, I think this is the start. Um, you know, I don't know that, that you can address all of those issues in one piece of legislation. Um, we're, we're struggling to find what the agreement's going to be on the tax rate, how it's going to be regulated, all of those things. So I think that's where my bill comes in and says we need to address legalization first and what it's going to look like to ensure public safety. Um, and, and as you said, the, the communities that have been impacted, let's start now with this. And then in other separate pieces of legislation, we can focus on those because what's happened in the past when you try to do too much in one bill, um, you, the, the message gets lost. And then the piece of legislation eventually fails. So I think that's why it's important to address these issues separately. But each one is as important to address. Um, so that's where I've come in with, with this piece of legislation, um, wanting to ensure that the medical uh, cannabis program is able to succeed and thrive. Um, the gross receipts tax is removed off of medical. Um, and, and then these the, the stores that are going to come in first are going to be required to maintain a certain level of medical sale, a lot like they do with the restaurant uh, beer and wine licenses, where 60% of your sales has to be food. I believe in the legislation, it's 40% has to be um, medical to maintain both licenses. So that, that was a big, important part of our bill, and, and that was because that's, that's a, a big thing for the governor to ensure that the medical cannabis program stays intact. And so we thought by removing the gross receipts tax off of the medical and then the tax that's going to be imposed on the recreational, there will be enough of a price difference for, for patients um, that they'll continue to use the medical program and continue to have their, their medical cards. And how would you allocate uh, the revenue? What would the tax rate be on, in, under your bill and how would the revenue be uh, parceled out? Well, to me, it was important to have local control being from a, a rural community. Um, that's something that um, I am told quite often by by my constituents and my community and county commissioners and city councilors is, um, you know, they're locally elected bodies. And so we wanted to ensure that um, the funds were not earmarked um, for them. 
but that the money that comes to them, there will be a 2% excise tax and then their portion of the gross receipts tax, which will come out to about 4% for each the city and the county. And, and you, so we thought, oh, go, it ahead. Import- mm-hmm. go ahead, I'm we sorry. We thought it important that they be able to spend that the way that they, they uh, deemed necessary, whether it's on um, social services or mental health or police officers or roads or whatever it is, it's up to them to make the decisions that they feel is best for their community. And Senator Pirtle, you do have uh, you have another bill in the legislature this year that is about secession um, that would allow counties to secede from the state, I believe. In the same spirit, you would also allow in, in this bill some counties to opt out of having dispensaries. Why is that? You know, I, I just thought it important that, that the state isn't coming in and forcing some of these things into communities that need to have that option. Um, but on the other hand, the way that we're we're setting up the tax structure, it's going to be uh, one that is is going to have counties and, and cities look really long and hard and say, you know, this stuff is going to be or the cannabis is going to be within our county because now it's no longer illegal to possess it. Correct. You can go to a outlying county or if a municipality doesn't opt in, but the county does. People can simply drive out into the county and then legally possess it. Um, but it does still give them that option. Um, I don't know that very many of them will exercise that option um, because 4% will help pay for a lot of the uh, negative impacts that we will more than likely see from the legalization of recreational cannabis. We do have an email as well. Um, I'll ask Senator Pirtle and also Ben Lewinger from the Cannabis Chamber to address this. Um, Kat says, I'm all for this bill, but concerned about water usage in the state. Is that addressed anywhere in these bills? Senator Pirtle. Um, no, it, it's not addressed. I think there's already laws on the books that, that address that. Um, you know, in, in my community, um, when if you're using water for farming, you have to have a water right. So it's allocated out. If you're using city water, they also have to have a water right. So that's allocated out. So it's not going to create um, usage of more water. It's just people are going to go from using the water for one purpose to now using it for this purpose. Uh, ben, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I, I think um, at least in House Bill 12 and House Bill 17, I do feel like there uh, there's some inclusion that you have to prove um, water access. And you know, like Senator Pirtle said, New Mexico is a, a state that is steeped in our agrarian heritage, and um, I, I don't see this as you know producing new uh, huge needs for water as much as current farmers uh, kind of shifting their crop to, to grow this this new thing. And I want to take a call from Dustin in Albuquerque. Dustin, you had a question about where this money might go and will it stay in New yeah. Mexico? Yeah. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you. Um, I'm curious if there's anything in the bills um, about protecting like New Mexicans and uh, basically like keeping New Mexico money, New Mexico money. Uh, thinking about uh, dispensaries like Ultra Health and Minerva coming from outside the state um, kind of uh, puts a puts a hamper on people from from the state uh, getting involved. Uh, ben, I think that's been a, a huge part of the discussion is how do we ensure that the opportunities that are going to be existing in New Mexico are for New Mexicans. And there, 
the discussion is around like a, a residency clause, which you know we have in, in HB 17, which says that two thirds ownership has to be a New Mexico resident to be able to prove that they're a New Mexico resident for for so many years. Um, and that is something that has been challenged in, in other states. The, the state of Oklahoma sued the state of Washington, or I'm sorry, somebody in Oklahoma sued the state of Washington, saying that the, the residency requirement was, was not constitutional. So that's one of those key pieces that we're going to have to figure out um, how to do it in, in regs compared to in statute. Um, but, you know, the, the goal is to to really focus on these micro businesses and make sure that those pathways to enter into the, the industry and be successful in the industry are there for uh, New Mexico families. Um, but also New Mexico is a, a cash poor state and it is difficult um, to have, in some cases it's difficult to have New Mexico businesses thrive without some kind of out of state investment. So it's a, you know, a balancing act to ensure that uh, entrepreneurs in New Mexico have access to capital, which could come from out of state, but that the industry is going to be here um, for New Mexicans from the onset and into the future. And Senator Pirtle? You know, I, I, I tend to agree that, you know, we want as many New Mexicans to be successful as, as possible, but we also have to understand that when when people bring money from outside of the state, that's that's new money coming into the state. But then we can um, have businesses here that they're investing in, create more wealth, create more jobs, and then have more and more people moving in. So I think there is a balance, and as I would like as many New Mexicans to be as successful as popular as possible with this, you know, there is an understanding that we have to have a balance of outside um, uh, investments coming in um, to ensure that we have a, a successful thriving market and then ensuring that there's plenty of competition to keep the price um, um, down in in competition with the the illicit market. Well, uh, we're getting close to the end of the hour and I want to make sure I get my final guest in because she's uh, very relevant to what we're talking about. Shannon Shannon Jaramillo is a cannabis educator and the founder of Seedcrest LLC. She has helped Northern New Mexico College set up a new online class preparing professionals to enter the cannabis industry. Um, Shannon, why did you see a need to have training now? Why this class now? Well, actually, it goes right in line with what we're talking about here, and it's to ensure that New Mexicans have access to opportunities and that we're looking at the long term of how this industry is going to build around technical trades. And so it took us about 12 years to create approximately 2,600 jobs in the medical industry. Um, It's my uh, opinion that we just need to advance our systems and start to reinvest into the workforce so that we can set up opportunities for New Mexicans. Who's the focus for this training? Um, who, like, who are you thinking of needs this? Entrepreneurs as well as workforce. Uh, it gives a good baseline to anybody wishing to enter the field or sidestep with their current skill set. And, you know, people are really looking at this thing from a simplistic view of, oh, we need thousands of bud tenders. But that just simply isn't the truth. We actually need a lot of frontline workers, but we, we, we have labor shortages really around uh, management level uh, accounting, you know, high level executive roles that we need in this field, uh, as well as chemistry and quality assurance and stuff like that. And so when we look at the field as a whole and we look at how New Mexico is moving compared to other states, we really do have an opportunity with our natural resources and our educational systems uh, to get ahead of things. And so I'm trying to help with all of the research and expertise that I've gained over the years to uh, really make suggestions that are relative, but also that 
give New Mexico the chance to lead um, in several areas, including how we license individuals to get into the field. How, how would these workforce development issues, um, this training, address these issues we've been talking about around equity? Well, and that's just the thing. I mean, when we look at equity, to me, it really means allowing the workforce to own their own right to work, first of all, and reinvesting in workforce and the consumer population. Right now, we've got a workforce and a uh, business um, you know, marketplace that is tasked with self-educating, as well as paying for the licenses for everybody to enter. And so it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a stifling uh, system. And so what I'm proposing is that we take another look at how medical cannabis employees are licensed and supported in the workforce, and that rather than just adding in a cannabis server's permit like alcohol, we actually treat the employees in the field like pharmacy technicians. Uh, this would entail providing the ability to own your own right to work and become licensed so that you can move about the industry and and have some career growth and mobility, which is just not the case right now. Uh, As I said, cannabis businesses are self-regulated. And so uh, we have multiple versions of how people can take medicine going out to people. And there's really no standard language going out into the consumer base right now. And so I'd really like us to look at things a little bit more advanced than just treating the workforce like bartenders. Yeah, that was been a revelation for me as we did our podcast that the people in the dispensaries who you're going to talk to about getting cannabis, like they have, you know, that's an extremely important role. (laughs) You're getting advice from someone about what you should be doing for an array of things. Right. And I just want us to all consider the fact that we're, we're talking about 11,000 jobs here, right? And how do we help people to find a clear-cut pathway to those jobs? I've been working on that now for four years, and I feel like I've been doing it kind of alone. And that's because federal funds and state funds just don't really touch a business like ours, right? And so when you look at Workforce Solutions, the Department of Health, Regs and Licensing, and even higher ed, I think that we can find some solutions that allow us to lead the country and how states wrap their arms around workforce force and education. And so I'm really hopeful that that's where we're headed with this. And I know that Representative Martinez, you know, Senator Pirtle and Ben have spent a lot of great time on working on adult youth. And so I'm very grateful uh, for everybody's, you know, work on this. I just know that I'm willing to help uh, to step it up just a little bit so that we can look at how workforce has access to this thing. Well, you can find links to articles and connections to all our guests at KUNM.org. I do want to take, we're almost at the end, but one caller because she has a really important question. Um, And I think Ben or uh, Andy, you could address this. Joyce, uh, quickly, what did you want to ask? I wanted to ask why, like other states, isn't this legalization of marijuana being put to the voters instead of just the legislature? Okay, Andy, I know you can answer that. We've talked about that on the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's um, it's an interesting uh, provision in, in state law and, and sort of the question that I have to lawmakers is why we haven't changed it. But essentially, we don't have a voter initiative system like other states do. The closest thing we have is is a constitutional amendment. Um, and that's just by design that we want voters to decide if we want to amend the Constitution. So um, that, that brings up other issues of do we want this to be in the Constitution that says cannabis is legal? Uh, it kind of goes back to the rules versus statute. Um, and a lot of people say the Constitution is not the place for that. But that is the closest thing we have to a voter initiative system. Plus, it would, you know, that would take quite a bit of time. Yes. Yes. That's the other thing, too, is that right now in these provisions we're looking at, um, we're looking at maybe a year out before we have, uh, you know, actual robust uh, legalization 
program, um, and in this case, we would have to put it to the voters. Well, the legislature would have to vote uh, and say, yes, we want to put this to the voters. And then the voters would decide at the next, we wouldn't have a special election. It would just go to the next general election. And then from there, it goes back to the legislator, uh, legislature to say, this is how we're going to craft this legalization issue. So that would put us several years out from legalizing if the voters approved it, which I think, Ben, we only have about 30 seconds, but that would put us quite a bit more behind other states that are already moving forward. Yeah, we'd still have to essentially do everything we're doing now. Um, and like Andy said, there's just not not a good mechanism. I, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about. There's a lot of work to do even after we pass this bill. But the, the first step is, you know, making cannabis legal for adults over 21. We're the closest we've ever been. And if we act now, we could still beat Texas to the punch. And uh, I will say, I believe most surveys done on this have found a majority of New Mexicans right now do support some form of legalization. All right, that will wrap it up for this special episode of Growing Forward Cannabis and New Mexico. Again, I am your host this time, <laughs> Kevin McDonald, the executive producer at New Mexico in Focus. A bit of an unusual one this time with me acting as host, uh, Megan acting as host of Let's Talk New Mexico, a weekly call-in show on KUNM radio that focused all on cannabis and the current legislative session. Our regular co-host Andy Lyman was part of that as well as a guest. So seats juggled a little bit this week, but the content and the folks involved all still the same. So we appreciate you tuning in. We'll have much more. Again, want to point out, if you are following this issue of legalization closely, this legislative session, there will be a couple hearings on Saturday on legislation around this, including Representative um, Martinez's bill, I believe. But uh, look for that on Saturday. Look for more reaction content analysis from us on that as the days go forward in the waning days, the second half, closing in on the second half of the legislative session. So lots to be done. We'll be here to try to bring you that important context for all of it. But as always, thanks for listening in. And please share the word about this podcast. Rate, subscribe, review, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Do all those things. It helps us out greatly. But we appreciate the support. And we will talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.